But I want you to join along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 28, the words of our Lord. He says, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God. You know, in our nation today, there is an enormous campaign against people driving using cell phones. Have you noticed that? People who drive texting, looking at the internet, maybe checking their email. There's a big campaign that you can see that's against doing such things. I mean, if you ride down the interstate and you look on the, the message boards above, they always talk about, put up your phones. It can wait. Don't text and drive. You've seen television commercials, radio ads, newspaper articles. There's social media and other websites that are all proclaiming this message. It can wait. It can wait. Don't text and drive. Just wait till you get somewhere. Don't be looking at the internet. And that's a, that's a hard temptation for us, isn't it? Because you, you're expecting a message, you're waiting on something, you're, you're trying to find out a detail, maybe look at directions or find out about the traffic, and it's so tempting to look down at your phone, to pick it up and say, oh, it's just going to take a second, or nobody's around me, or I know where I'm going, it's a straight road, and you look at your phone, and that's exactly what they're trying to stop. Now, don't they understand how important it is for us to know things? For us to make sure that our Facebook account is active and we know what's going on around us for us to check those emails why would they want us to stop looking at our phones going down the road well the answer is very simple because when we look at our phones we're distracted our focus is taken off of what's most important we're distracted we look away and that's when tragedy and accidents and all kinds of consequences occur when we are distracted and not focused on what's most important and you know, when it comes to the life of a church, the same dangers can be true as we lose our focus on what's most important. One of the great dangers that we can have, especially during a time of transition, is losing our focus, becoming distracted on what God has called us to do as a church. And this is when the church actually begins to swerve off the road of God's will and ends up in a very consequential place a difficult place, a place that God doesn't bless. We must always keep our focus on what God has called us to do. So you may ask, well, what should our focus be as a church? Regardless if we are in a time of transition or if we've had a pastor for a long time or if we're in a different type of ministry, what should our focus be as a church? What should have our attention? Well, the answer from all of scripture is very simple. The answer is that our church must seek to glorify God by working together to make disciples of all nations. That's our focus. It bears repeating to our focus must be to glorify God by working together as a church to make disciples of all nations. If that is not our focus as a church, God will not bless us. We will not grow. And in fact, if it continues too long, we will not even be around. That has to be our focus as a church. You see, like distracted drivers, when we lose our focus and get distracted from what God has called us to do, not only do we face the consequences of what will happen to us for being disobedient, 
But all of those around us in our community, in our nation, in our world, they all risk spending eternity in a place called hell because we did not deliver the gospel to them. Making disciples is what our focus must be as a church, and we glorify God through that. So just as it's important for drivers to keep their eyes on the road, it is so important for us as a church to keep our focus on making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how our church should be measured. That's how we should look if we're successful or not. That's the way that our world will come to know Christ is through the message of the gospel and us applying it to them through making disciples. And the reason we know this is so important It's because this is exactly what the Lord Jesus told us as a church to do in the very last words that he gave in this world. As you remember all through the Gospels and especially the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus did so many things through the miracles and the teaching and and all of the great works that he did. He lived a perfect life. And then as we all know, the Lord Jesus went to the cross. He took on all of our sins and died in our place. And then after three days, he was raised from the dead, proving that he is truly the savior of the world, that he accomplished his mission, and now that everyone who trusts in him will have eternal life. That is the gospel message. So what did Jesus do before he left? He looked at his disciples on that mountain, and right before he ascended up into heaven, where he still is to this day at the right hand of the throne of God, He said, I want you all to know that I am completely in control of everything. And I am challenging you and commissioning you and commanding you to take this gospel message, the one that I completed, to all of those people out in the world who have never heard and have never believed, those who are lost and dying. And I want you to apply this message to them through teaching them about the gospel and then after they believe, helping them to grow in their walk until they become just like I am in completion. That's what Christ called the church to do. Some people will say, well, he was only talking to the disciples in that moment. Maybe it was just for the apostles in the early centuries, but the church is not the same. Well, that's not true either because he told the apostles to take this message to the nations and command everyone that you reach to do the same thing. So in essence, every church member throughout all centuries and all generations have the same command to make disciples. We as a church, we exist to glorify God in many ways. But if there is one focus that we should have as a whole, it's to make disciples. And that is the message that I want to leave with all of you today. So how do we keep our focus on the Great Commission? What is it that we need to understand about it in order to accomplish it, especially during a time of transition in the days ahead? Well, there's two important elements that I want you to understand this morning about the Great Commission. And if we're going to be a church that continues to grow, that continues to reach our community, we desperately need to understand these two elements today. The first element that we see is what we call the bookends of the Great Commission. The bookends of the Great Commission. You know, when most people think about the Great Commission, they mainly focus on what Christ says in the middle, which is actually the the verbal command to go and make disciples and to teach them and baptize them and all the rest. That's what most people think about when they hear the words Great Commission, and rightly so, because that is the actual commission. But one of the the most important part of this, and really the most neglected, is what Jesus says right before and right after he gives us the command to go make disciples. That's something that we oftentimes overlook or read over before we get to what is in the middle. 
But if you overlook on, if you overlook on what's on the ends, you're going to really have no power to do what's in the middle. So these are what I call the bookends of the Great Commission. And these words declare the power and the presence of Christ among us to make sure that we complete the Great Commission that he has given us. So what are the bookends of the Great Commission? Well, look with me in verse 18. He begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus begins the Great Commission by what some have called the Great Claim, the Great Claim. Jesus says that all authority on heaven and on heaven and earth has been given to him by the Father. Now, the word authority here is key because it refers to the right to speak and to act as one pleases. And when it comes to God and through Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, we understand that this means he has the total power over everything in the entire universe. He is sovereign over everything. He has everything under his hand in total control all of the time. That's what it means for Christ to have authority over everything. He is sovereignly in control of all things. Now, we understand this to be true because of what the Lord Jesus showed us throughout his ministry. If you look back over the Gospels and you try to see what Jesus did, he gives us a glimpse of his sovereignty. I mean, this is the Savior who miraculously healed the sick. He fed those who were hungry. He casted out demons. He controlled the weather. He was able to stop the wind and the waves. He was actually able to bring people back from the dead. So if there's any question about how powerful Jesus is, just look at his resume, look at his life. He did everything he wanted to do and nobody could stop him. And that's the same power that Jesus is telling us about today. He has the power and authority over everything. And you know, this should bring us great comfort and encouragement as a church to know that he is in control, that he has power, that when he said that the gates of hell would never come against the church, that's what he meant and that's what will happen. There is nothing that can stop the local church because of his presence and power. He is in control of all things. But as great as that is, that is just on one end of the bookcase. The other bookend is this, look down in verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when Jesus says, I am behold here, he's bringing us, he's bringing our attention to something very important, something that we really desperately need to understand. He's saying, behold, listen to this and let me make it clear. He says, I am always with you even till the end of the age. Now, there's two important uh, details here I want you to see. One is the very presence of Christ. He says to all of us that I am always with you. The word always literally means in the Greek language, all the days. And he's speaking about every day of our lives. So no matter who we are, if we are a believer in Christ and we are a part of a local church, he says, I am with you every day. There's not gonna be a day that I forgot about you or I'm not gonna be with you or to help you. I am with you every day. Even during times of transition, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. So no matter what we face or where we are, Christ is always going to be with us. Some of you may say, well, if Jesus is in heaven, how is he going to be with us here on earth? Well, this is where we have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the Spirit is going to come for this very purpose. After he goes off to heaven and he's up there in heaven ruling, the Spirit of God is his presence here on earth with each of us everywhere we are as he lives within us. 
See, this is why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a very similar passage. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying you can't even do this mission without me with you through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you always. That's his presence. But notice he tells us something about his endurance as well. He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. Now, when is the end of the age? Well, three different times in the Gospels, Jesus uses this phrase to talk about the time of his return, the second coming of Christ, which we are all eagerly waiting for. So when Jesus returns, that will be the end of the age, when he makes his glorious return. You may say, well, that doesn't really sound good because that means there will be a time that Jesus will be with us, but then he's not going to be with us after this time. But that's not what it's talking about. What he's talking about here is that the great commission in this context, until he returns, there will be opportunity for people all over this world to believe and be saved. There will be open doors. The gospel will be able to be trusted in and believed and people can be saved. But when he returns at the end of the age, that's when the door closes. That's when missionary work will cease and there will be no more chance for people to know him. So he's saying that while you're in this generation or this era of the grace that we call it, before I return, you have this commission to carry out. But until I return, I will always be with you and I will always empower you to do what you were called to do. So you may ask, well, why is this so important? I mean, why can't we just get our gloves on, put our boots on and go out and start doing the Great Commission? Why do we have to focus on these bookends? Well, the very simple answer is because we don't have the power to change people's lives. We don't have the power to change hearts, to change minds. We don't have the authority as believers to raise someone who is spiritually dead to spiritual life. It doesn't matter how well our gospel presentation can be played out. It doesn't matter how many tracks we have or how well we are at conversing with people. It doesn't matter how many events we have at the church or how great our ministry is or how well we can market ourselves. It doesn't matter how many people we actually share the gospel with. If we do not have the power and the presence of Christ, no one will believe. And that is a truth that we have to get, come to terms with. No one will believe if the Holy Spirit is not in the mix of our gospel presentation and evangelism. We must have Christ. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said it is impossible for a person to come to him outside of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, drawing them to the Father. We also know that it's impossible for a person to come to him without someone proclaiming the message. So we work alongside God in the sense that we must have his Holy Spirit, we must have his grace and power, but we also must be active in sharing this message but we need to have Christ. So as we think about the future of our church and the direction that we're headed in, and we think about this time of transition, what are the implications of these bookend truths for us today? Well, one is confidence. It's confidence. Because of what Jesus tells us about how he has the authority and the power over everything, we can be confident that no matter who we share the gospel with, they can come to Christ. In other words, there is no one out there that is so lost that they can't come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. 
Now, if it were up to us trying to convince them ourselves and trying to do what it takes to make them believe, they would really be lost. We don't have the power to change people's lives. But we do have confidence to know that the Holy Spirit is much, much more powerful than we can ever believe. And he can work in the deepest places, the farthest regions, the hardest hearts. That's the confidence that we have. But this also gives us dependence. It shows us dependence. Because if Christ has all the authority and the power on everything, it means that we must eagerly depend upon him and call out to him in prayer for that power. We can't do it on our own. We have confidence, but we can't receive that without depending upon him and going to him in prayer. This is why we need to urgently pray every single week for people in our community to come to know Christ. Pray for a spiritual awakening. Pray that God would do a great work in our church and beyond wherever we minister to. That's the dependence that we should have after understanding who Christ is and what he can do. But not only do we have confidence and dependence, but these verses also must help us to have humility. Humility. Because Christ has the authority and the power over everything, we must remain humble knowing that none of our ministry success ever really is because of us. Everything that we accomplish here, all that we've accomplished in the past years, all that's going to be accomplished in the future will only be the result of God. We are his vessels, we are his tools, we are his hands and feet in many cases, but he ultimately gets the glory for what is happening. So it should humble us to know that ministry is not all about us. We don't get the credit or the glory, only God gets the glory. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So let's remember the bookends of the Great Commission are telling us that the only success we will ever have comes with a true dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ's power and presence among us. And through this great time that we're, going to, that we're about to enter into time of transition, we need to remember the bookends of the Great Commission. So Christ has told us what he's responsible for in this Great Commission through these bookends. But now I want to show you what we are responsible for, what we must do as obedient followers of Christ. So look with me at the second element, and it's the basics of the Great Commission, the basics of the Great Commission. So what does Christ want us to do as a church? What do we physically need to be involved in, in this community and beyond? Well, the simple answer is that we need to spend our time and our resources making disciples making disciples. Look what he says here in verse 19. Very famous words. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now that is the most basic form of the command of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus says go therefore, the therefore is actually wanting us to look back at what he said previously in this context, which is, is because I've given you all this power and I have all this authority, then take advantage of it and do this. Go therefore and make disciples. Now the root meaning of the verb here to make disciples is extremely important for us to be obedient as Christians, to understand this deeply, because it has the combination of believing and learning. It's a combination. It means to believe and also to continue to learn. So in this context, Jesus is actually commanding us to present the gospel to people, showing them the need they have for Christ, and bringing them to him, to, for them to become believers. But he also says that after they become believers, 
then we should take our time to help them to grow all the way to maturity in Christ. So the Great Commission is not just evangelism, but it's also discipleship in the sense of helping people to grow. One commentator said this, this verb uh, commands a kind of evangelism that doesn't stop after a person makes a profession of faith, but continues to help believers learn how to follow and submit to Jesus for the remainder of their lives. So the call for the Great Commission is not a one-time event to help someone know Christ, but it is a lifelong task of helping people know him and then to become like him. And you know, one of the things that we can't overlook here is who Jesus tells us to reach. He doesn't give us a specific people group or a region of of the nation or world. He says simply to reach all nations. Now, the word all nations here, if we casually look at this, we're picturing the globe with all the countries in different colors, and we're thinking, well, he wants us to go to all the different nations around the world. And that's true, he does. But more specifically, what this word means here in the Greek, he's talking about all people groups, all different types of people, nationalities, ethnicities, socioeconomic classes, education levels. He's talking about all different types of people around the world, different people groups. And so what we have to understand from this is that, yes, Christ wants us to take the gospel to places like Africa and China and Australia and to go to Japan and Mexico and Canada and to go to Georgia and to go to to the outmost regions of where we are here, even in our county that we live in. He wants us to go to all these places around the world. But not only does he want us to go to all the places, but more specifically, he wants us to reach all the different peoples. Now, a metro area like Atlanta affords us the access to many different peoples. You look at where we live, we have a lot of people from all parts of the world that live around us. So in essence, what Christ is saying is that you need to try to reach everybody in your community, regardless of where they're from, their nationality, their ethnicity, their economic levels, their education levels, where they work, what their kids are like. You need to reach everyone that's around you. And don't just do it here, but go around the world and do it as well. That is what he's telling us to do, is to make disciples of all nations. So that was the point of the Great Commission. But I want you to notice two very important parts of this. We must understand that the Great Commission is about conversion and about continued spiritual growth. And we must accomplish both. Look what he says here at the end of verse 19. He says, make disciples of all nations. And notice, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The word baptism here is very familiar to us because it means to immerse someone in water. That's what it literally means, to immerse someone in water. And the reason that we are commanded in Scripture to baptize people after they believe is because it shows the reality of what happens inside a person. When a person is placed under the water, it is a symbol of them dying to their old self, their old sinful nature. They're raised out of the water. It's a symbol of them being cleansed and given new life in Christ. So what happens on the inside of a person's heart when they believe is demonstrated visibly through baptism. So he tells us that we need to baptize people after they have come to know him as Lord and Savior, after they've been born again. So essentially what we need to do is to do evangelism. We need to share the gospel message with those who haven't believed. And after they come to know Christ through our message, then we're to baptize them, not because it saves them. Baptism doesn't save anyone. But it's so that the rest of us will know they belong to us. They've been immersed in Christ and raised a new life. It's a symbolic induction into the church. That's what it means. 
So we are to do all we can to evangelize. And this is why I'm so happy as I look at the church calendar this fall, because we have a church that's on mission in our local community. There's different events that Pastor Lewis and Ben and others have been planning that, that will bring us and bring the people of the community together so we can get to know them, so we can learn our neighbors and love them and share with them, and then we can tell them about Christ and they can know, know him and be saved. And Lord willing, many will be baptized in our baptistry because we're engaging people in these ways. That should be our goal is for conversion through evangelism. But we can't stop with conversion. There is a second part that he tells us here. Look in verse 20. He says, also teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus tells us that, yes, go out and convert them. Let them come to know me through the gospel. But don't stop there. This is one of the most neglected parts of Christian ministry. We are very good many times about trying to tell people about Jesus, even lead people to Jesus. But how good are we at taking them by the arm and showing them more of Jesus and allowing them to grow in Christ and become mature as we ourselves are still growing and maturing? That's the part that's often neglected with the Great Commission. So the church's mission is not simply to convert, but also to teach. That's what it means to teach them everything that Christ commanded. Of course, everything Christ commanded is found in the scriptures. And the scriptures ultimately must be the message that we proclaim and teach. Everything in the Bible, we should be willing to teach and help someone understand. So that is what the Great Commission is all about. We want to help people come to know Christ, but also lead them into a greater relationship with him. You know, we... We celebrated Sadie's birthday this past week as she turned three years old. It is amazing that three years have already gone by. But in those three years, we have watched her grow so much and we have been a big part of her growth, clothing her and feeding her and helping her and guiding her. And now she's growing. She can do some of those things on her own, but we're still teaching her new things each day. It is essential for us to help her to grow. But what if after Emily had had her in the hospital, if we had just left her there? And said, well, you're on your own now. We got you here, but you've got to do all the rest. That, that makes us laugh, doesn't it? But don't you understand that's essentially what we're doing when we lead someone to Christ and then just let them go on their own? We've got to take people by the hand. Share with them what Jesus wants out of their life, how they should live, how they should grow. Teaching them how to understand the Bible. Then as they continue to grow, as we continue to grow, we will glorify God and be fulfilling the Great Commission. That is really what we need to do as a church. So I would encourage you today, no matter if you were converted to Christ last week or in the last century, that you would continue to grow yourself, that you would get involved in a Sunday school or a small group class, that you would read your Bible, that you would pray, that you would get to know someone else and fellowship with another person and grow together, but you would eagerly seek someone out and help them to grow as well. And you would make disciples in this way. You know, several years ago, there's a story that's always hit home with me when I think about this topic. There was a large city that was having a party at a municipal swimming pool. And they were celebrating a whole season without anyone perishing by drowning there at the pool. It's a pretty amazing event because of all the, the, the tragic things that happen in these big swimming pools and everything and the ocean and all the rest. But they were having a party to celebrate this that no one had died as a result of, of the pool. 
So they invited hundreds of people and around 100 lifeguards were there. They were having a, a big time and fellowship and they were eating and drinking and really enjoying themselves and walking around talking to everyone. And after the party had ended and the pool was cleared and everybody was out, they noticed that in the bottom of the pool, there was a person on the, laying there. And as they were looking down, they couldn't believe it. They swam down, they found him and sure enough, he had drowned amidst the party. And what was so significant and tragic about that event is that there were people who were celebrating their ability to rescue others, celebrating that no one had drowned. And they had all these lifeguards who were specially trained in these areas to save people. And yet they were so busy doing their own thing. They were so distracted. They were celebrating their own success so much that someone actually drowned while they were doing this. And you know, that's sometimes what happens in the local church. We are a body of believers who've gathered here each week to celebrate our salvation, to celebrate what God has done in our lives. We fellowship, we love each other, we spend so much time together, and yet then we can be so blind and so distracted, so unfocused by those who are lost and dying around us. We don't need to be like that. We need to care about the community we live in, care about the region that we live in, care about the world that God has given us to live in so that we can take the message of the gospel to these people and help them to grow and follow what Christ has called us to do. That is what the Great Commission is all about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I wonder how many of you today are praying to become a harvester for the Lord. You're praying for God to send people along your path to reach with the truth. You're praying that someone who needs to grow in their relationship with Christ will allow you to help them to grow and that you will embrace them. And you're also praying that you would continue to grow through someone else helping you. How many of you are praying for a spiritual awakening where we live? Praying for this church to do many great things even after this time of transition and through it. That's got to be the prayer that you make today is that the Great Commission will be focused on here in this church for the centuries to come until the end of the age. You know, but the Great Commission states the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is the urgent and simple truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sinners and that God wants to make peace with all those who are his enemies, which were all of us when we were born. And the Bible teaches that Christ died on the cross to forgive us for our sins, to take our place from the judgment of God so that his perfect righteousness will be given to us, credited to our account. All of our sins will be credited to his account and God will see a perfect person in his place because of what Jesus did for them. And the way we have that is through faith. The Bible teaches that if you know that you are lost, that you need Christ, that you need forgiveness, that you want to have eternal life, that you turn away from your sins in repentance. You understand that you are not where God wants you to be and you turn away from your sins. And not only do you turn away from sin, but you turn toward Christ to begin following him. And when you make your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, turning away from sin, trusting that he did everything that's required for you to know God and, to be and for God to be satisfied in you, then you will be born again. The spirit will come to live within your heart. You will become a new creature, new creature in him. And that's when you will be a person who has eternal life with him forever and ever. And then you will be equipped to take that message of your salvation and the gospel to those who haven't yet believed 
and thus obey the message of the Great Commission. Would you pray with me?